have a home like that, but you recognize that they value those spoons a bit. And so, you know, things are displayed in their house, uh, or, you know, maybe they've never been used, or they're sitting nicely on a shelf in an office. Uh, Malachi right now, he's excited about baseball. He's a Blue Jays fan. Bo Bichette is his favorite player. And so you go into his room, and on his dresser, he has this Bo Bichette bobblehead, uh, this card in a case on a stand. And then he has, like, this picture with some dirt that Bo Bichette must have fell on or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, but then you look, and it's so nice. Then you, like, look at the rest of his room, and you're like, he clearly doesn't value health or hygiene. And so, uh, like, there's clothes everywhere. Um, there is, you know, mice running around. So we just, like, shut the door. But uh, I'm making him sound like a dirty slob. But he's not. But he is. Um, but so it's, uh, we're, <laughs> based, like, they're just things that are just nicely set aside for Bohoshet. Maybe someday he'll visit. Hopefully not. Um, last week, I talked about my dislike for raisins, um, right? There are no commands that can be made that will make me love raisins. And it was a topic at our dinner table this week, my dislike for raisins. Malachi remembered when we were in Saskatchewan, actually, in uh, the summertime, and Papa, he bought rum raisin ice cream. And so they said, Dad, why did you order it in Eden? And I was like, listen, um, I did not order that. It was an accident. I ate it because so you guys could have the ice cream that you like. I gave up my ice cream so you can have what you like. So I value you guys and gave up my ice cream so I didn't eat the ice, so you wouldn't eat the ice cream that you, I knew you weren't going to like. Then proceeded to tell them that, you know, since we were outside and eating the ice cream, I was eating it and spitting raisins out. And so... <laughs> There, so uh, I know that you're thinking, super classy I am. Uh, don't worry, I won't, I'll discreetly spit them out in your home. And so, so what we are going to talk about and what we're seeing through these parables today is this. The value you place on something is shown by what you'll give up for it. I value my kids. I gave up my willingness to, you know, have ice cream that I really liked for something I did not like for sure because I value them. Now, let's pray before we dive into these parables. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for these short stories, Lord, that they lead us, they guide us, Lord, they teach us so much about you, Lord, and what you were bringing, uh, and they are stories that have so many layers that still affect us today uh, that uh, we can constantly stay in them and constantly find truths to unravel. And so we thank you, Lord, that your scripture continues to speak to us. We thank you for these stories and we pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us as we talk about these. Lord, that you would place something on our heart. Lord, that we would leave here uh, grasping a truth, Lord, and then applying that truth. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. First parable, the hidden treasure and pearl is found in Matthew 13, 44 to 45. The second one's in Luke 12, 13 to 21. That's the rich fool. But first, we're going to look at the one in Matthew here. And it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, and it's been cut off. Once he found that fine pearl, he gave up all of his other pearls, that's a paraphrase, uh, to get this one fine pearl that he's been looking for. So at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus shared a string of parables to the crowd before this parable that we just read. And they all centered on this. They all centered on the kingdom of heaven. 
So after he shared those parables, he went into a house and his disciples came in and they asked him, like, what, what did those parables that you just said, what did they mean? And Jesus, being the Riddler, he gave them another parable and he begins to tell them what the kingdom is by sharing another parable. And this is the parable that he shares. So whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, he used terms like the one found in this short parable. He taught that finding the kingdom of heaven was like finding something of incredible value that you'd gladly leave everything else behind to get it, that you would give up everything just for that. Now these two short parables, they make one distinct point. I wasn't gonna drain it out to a three-point sermon, so it's one strict point that I'm gonna give you here. We see in this first parable that the man stumbles upon a treasure randomly. First, right, right, this is the dream, finding treasure, right? Uh, Most of us have probably at some point as kids looked for treasure, and you maybe continued that childlike faith, and maybe that you have a metal detector now, uh, and you're going out there looking for treasure still. But in Jesus' day, finding treasure was like, was not all that uncommon. It was actually very common to find treasure. Because back then, people didn't have banks. So if you had a huge pile of money, and you wanted to keep it safe, you would bury it. I'm not sure if you're doing that right now, but that's cool. And so if your town was being attacked, though, as happened like, quite frequently in Israel, you would bury it quickly. So the attacking army wouldn't confiscate it, so they wouldn't take it. So back then, a lot of times, a person would die in the attack, and no one would know where the treasure was, where, where they had hidden all their money. So there's actually an archaeological dig at Qumran, they found a map with 64 places that people in that community had buried treasure to hide from invading armies. So this is the point. Many people in Jesus' day lived with excitement of finding old buried treasure. So when he tells this story, they actually all kind of like lean in a little bit. They're like, so you know where there's treasure. And so he has their attention. They like lean in because this is not all uncommon. So this man stumbles upon the treasure He goes to the owner of the field, and they finally, they agree on this price. Evidently, right, it's quite a bit. Because in order to purchase this field, the man has to sell everything that he has. Everything. All right, second parable. We'll we'll connect them together here in a sec. The second parable makes the same point, just a few small distinctions. This time, the one who discovers this treasure is a pearl of great price, is not a blue-collar person. They are a very wealthy merchant. And unlike the first guy, this guy doesn't discover the treasure accidentally, doesn't stumble upon it. This guy has made a lifetime of hunting treasure. This is what he's doing. This is what he's looking for. He's a merchant. He wants fine pearls. So he's hunting down these fine pearls. And pearls, by the way, were the most valuable jewel in the ancient world because many people, for, it was hard to get, right? There's no scuba deer, scuba deer, scuba gear, <laughs> scuba gear back in the day where they can just go down, find you know, the pearl like we can today. So they were hard to come by, very valued. Only the wealthiest of the wealthy had pearls. And it was said that the majority of Cleopatra's worth was contained in just two pearls. And in today's terms, that would be $4 billion. So this man had made a living of buying and selling pearls. This is what he did. This is his lifestyle. He was rich. He was eating caviar. You know, he was a good-looking guy, probably. I don't know. And so, but this one is of such exquisite beauty, this pearl, 
that he sells all the other ones and his businesses and his house and his land to buy it. He gives up everything to buy it. This rich merchant gives up all of his earthly possessions, and I'm sure it was vast to give up for this fine pearl. Now, two different people in this story. You know, we can take one parable and we can leave the other. You could hear the treasure parable and think the gospel is only found when you stumble upon it. You can hear the pearl parable and show that there is someone looking for the gospel. But we see that these two parables together show that the gospel is this, is available to all. It's available to everyone. Everyone has an opportunity. Whether you're looking or you're not looking, there's an opportunity to hear the gospel. So it's for everyone, two different type of people, a blue collar, a white collar, one with relatively little, one with a lot, one who wasn't looking for treasure and the other one is actually obsessed with it, one poor and common and the other rich. And so he is laying the groundwork also, Jesus, by telling them this for Jews and Gentiles for all to have the gospel. That was the big thing. The Jewish people thought the Messiah is just for me and not for the Gentiles. Woe to the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't looking for this Messiah to come. The Jews were looking for this Messiah to come. So the gospel for today and then has always been for everyone, searching or not searching. So everyone has an opportunity to hear it. So they were un- they, both of them encountered something of such great value that it makes everything in their else everything in their lives look worthless by comparison. And so is this how we view Jesus? Is this how we view Christ? That everything in our life is not even on the same level. I would willingly give up it all for Jesus. It's worthless actually by comparison to him. This is a huge question that we wrestle with because our culture is constantly throwing things that we feel that they feel might be valuable to us. For us to live. Now, the three most important words in this parable are this in his joy. In his joy. Normally, if you had to walk away from everything you own, you'd maybe be a little bit devastated. You'd maybe be like, I I gave up everything. But the characters in these parables, the characters in these stories are actually elated with joy because the treasure that they are gaining is far more valuable than anything they're actually walking away from. They're gaining so much and is everything that they ever needed and everything else doesn't seem as important. See, Jesus is sharing with the disciples the importance of the kingdom of heaven and the value of his kingdom. And this kingdom is here for them to accept right now. By these two stories, by these short two stories that we see, these short parables, they show us how the gospel pursues us with a superior joy. The gospel is chasing us down with the superior joy of everything that we've ever needed. So when it says Jesus is pursuing us, it's because he knows that this is what you need. When it says he's jealous, it's not because he's jealous because you like something else. He's jealous because he's like, this is actually everything that you need. And it's with me. No one in the story is reeling from what they gave up. It doesn't go in and then it's like, well, they had second thoughts. 
Have you had second thoughts about a transaction, maybe recently? We're, Kim and I are the king and queen of second thoughts. You know, we buy milk, we're like, oh, should we got 3%? I don't know. And so, like, but we had buyer's remorse. We bought a Ford Escape, and it was a standard. I didn't even know how to drive it. And we literally drove it off, and I was like, dear Lord Jesus, what did we just do? complete briar's remorse. We bought this house, and we're like, how much did we just spend on this house? And completely remorseful a little bit, buyer's remorse, but now perception, right? I'm like, I would not want to buy that house today. And so, um, but there was nothing, they weren't reeling from the transaction. There was no buyer's remorse. There was no second guessing. They had gladly, in their joy, gave up everything for the kingdom. Everything. And these parables, they don't minimize the cost. In fact, both draw attention to it. They really draw to it. They're like, literally, all things, as much as he has, there is a cost. The cost is great. This one pearl is so surprisingly precious that even, that many even say that with the great army of missionaries and martyrs, like David Livingstone, they they actually had never, it's like, I didn't even make a sacrifice. It was so big, this thing, but they're like, it felt like nothing giving it up. So what will it look like for Christ's kingdom to come to us like this? How do we receive Jesus as an infinitely valuable treasure or a slightly greater pearl that passes anything else that we ever have? How do we perceive Jesus as our treasure? See, as we run this race, and we run this race well, we'll have to keep Jesus as our joy as our treasure. Sometimes when we might get a little bit discouraged, we might get a little a bit upset because, you know, maybe things aren't the way we think it is. The question I think to myself when I think like that is like, am I actually keeping Jesus at the center of my life? Is he actually my joy right now? Because everything around me is not going to go really well. It's the world. We have people trying to lead and guide it that are fallen. But when Jesus is my joy, Things change. I heard a pastor say this. This is like, this is the more important question that he asks sometimes, or that he thinks sometimes. It's not that have you accepted Christ, but is it, has Jesus become your treasure? Obviously, accepting Jesus is of great importance. Obviously, is of great importance. But if Jesus is your treasure, though, that's pretty deep. That's pretty intimate. He's like that spoon on your wall, or that Bobochette shrine. Actually, it's not even in comparison. He absolutely, is he absolutely everything to you? See, I've accepted many things. I've accepted a marriage between him and myself, but I treasure my wife. I could be married and not treasure her. I could have made the commitment, but not treasure her. Now, there we go. Rich, first parable out of the way. Now the, rich, the parable of the rich fool. It's in Luke 12, 13 to 34. And so right when we begin this parable, we see someone who is worried. Someone who is concerned about an inheritance here on earth and actually comforts here on earth. So the demand of this parable, actually, when it begins, you'll see it comes from an anonymous individual. And this person was obsessed with getting what he considered his rightful portion of the family inheritance, that he asked Jesus 
to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. We'll see that request when we read this. And this request is actually made right in the middle of when Jesus is telling the crowd to confess him before others and before God. So Jesus is telling the par- like this parable and he's saying, confess me before others and before God. And this guy pipes in and he's like, tell my brother to give me my inheritance. And so here we go. Let's read it. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man who appointed me, it's not man, it's like, man, like, man, come on, like, you know, we don't think Jesus did slang, 100% he did. And so, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between me, between you? I even say it differently when I say that phrase. He said, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The crowd of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, this man, highly concerned with getting what is his. Lord, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Tell my brother to do this. Now, in this time, most of Jesus' hearers, most of those in the crowd, only just had enough to live on. They only just had what they needed for that day. And there was always the prospect that one day they wouldn't even have that. Most of them had one spare garment. And as with many in today's non-Western world, so many in the West, one disaster, maybe the family breadwinner being sick or injured, it, it could be destitute to them. So this seems, right? It seems like a legitimate concern the man is bringing forward. Plus, Jesus, right, he's about justice. This is who he is. This is like the prime case for him to show justice, right? He looks after the widows. He looks after the children. He looks after those who are called less than. And this person is, doesn't have much, and there's a dispute, and he's supposed to have some of the inheritance, and he's not getting it. And it should feel like, Jesus, you're coming for me, right? But there's a deeper meaning of this parable, This parable talks about possessions and comfort they bring. So think about this. Give you a second to think about. For Jews, what is the most important possession to them? Think historically. What is the most important thing to Jewish people? The most important thing to Jewish people at this time was land. Because land didn't just speak of just like, I have land. It also spoke of an inheritance that you were going to have when the Messiah came. And so he's like, I need that land because I need my place in the history when the Messiah comes for me. If I don't have that land, I'm going to miss it. So this man wanted Jesus to arbitrate in a property dispute with his brother. Land wasn't just there, right? Like as I mentioned, that they happened to live. It wasn't just this possession that they had. It was the holy land. It was a vital Jewish symbol. If you possessed the land, you were a true Jew. You were keeping the faith. Your hammy, your hammy, 
Your family had a place in the Jewish future. Families clung to land for religious reasons, not just economical reasons. So Jesus' message was about the kingdom coming to change that. Jesus wasn't coming to tighten up Israel's defense of the land. His kingdom was coming because he was longing to shower grace and new life on every race and every place. So this was huge when he said, I'm not there for the property dispute of the land. Coming for much more, actually. Israel, as far as as he can see, was in danger of becoming like the man in the story who wanted the security of enough possessions for it to last a lifetime, right? And we have always seen Israel not have the land, not possess the land. They were always wanting their possession. They were always wanting their place in history. They were always waiting and longing for it. And the security of having own land in the Holy Land, it was so religious to them. And it felt like they were pleasing God. So societies and individuals also alike think themselves into this false position. And Jesus shares to them this parable of the rich fool and blatantly calls them a fool if they think like this. You're a fool if you think like this, if what you have is going to help you with the kingdom of heaven. See, the principle Jesus is trying to get across is this. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, and the abundance of our possession actually has no effect on our standing with Christ. He is telling the Jews to be careful and not to become greedy in possessing the land because you can miss the kingdom of God right in front of you. They're so worried about, figure out my land dispute. While the kingdom of God, Jesus, is right in front of him. But they want the land. I want that possession. This is what I think will make me right in God's sight. This is what I think will help me in my walk, in my life, while you're looking right at Jesus who's telling you this story. And you're totally missing it. He is telling the reader to not become so focused on the material possessions because you can miss the kingdom of God right in front of you. But you'll also do this. You'll also miss sharing the kingdom of God with those around you. Okanagan is beautiful. It's lovely. I love being here. So it's cool. Like, it's the first time in my life that I'm cool. And so writing all my high school friends back home. Yeah, look at me. I'm cool now. And so, like, but we can get sucked into the lifestyle of the Okanagan. We can get sucked into the beauty of what happens here. But are we focusing on Jesus? Paul exhorted the Colossians. He said this in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It is foolish to find our joy, comfort, security in the things of this world. Yes, there are things that we do in this world that you know, will bring us joy, but not everlasting joy. There's things I like to do here. They bring me excitement. They bring me some joy but they're not the everlasting joy that I so long for and for many who are longing for and looking for here. Yes, my home, it can provide me comfort. Um, I like my home. It's comfy. You know, in about about like 10 years, you know what my wife's going to do? She's going to be like, we need to update some things. And so, (laughs) you know what, truth. Uh, And so, and then we started working in in the house to update things because, It doesn't bring us everlasting comfort like Jesus does. 
I can find my security in money and getting more money. But if my goal in money is to look after me first and then others, then it comes with a caveat. And then also I take on this idea of I need to look after myself first, when I'm comfortable, then look after others. The rich man in this parable was a farmer. He represents all human beings who are seduced by the kinds of covetousness and greed, whether it's a statesman, craftsman, pheasant, lawyer, um, nurse, doctor, secretary, professor, mechanic, or student. The man came across his wealth honestly in this story. Right? He didn't cheat to get his field. He didn't devour widows to get his field to become well off. He actually he just had another really good year is what it said. It was just, I had an abundant year, another good crop. He did what he was supposed to do as a good farmer. But what did he do with his abundance was the question, really. Here was his danger, a false sense of security because of success. He's building new barns, which seems logical and prudent and a good idea, and it very much is. But the danger was, and what he was missing, there was not a thought of sharing. There was not a thought of stewardship. There wasn't a thought of helping the ill or the naked or those around him. The language in verse 17 and 19 is ingrained with selfishness. In the Greek, the pronoun mine occurs four times and I eight times. Just in three verses. This person is completely absorbed with I, myself. The man in the parable thought he had set himself up well. And he said, you know what? Soul you have ample goods laid up for many years. Good job. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And those words are actually very key because when you hear that throughout the Bible, it speaks to a life of indulgence. The man is a fool because life is short and he wasn't thinking about the long run. He wasn't thinking about the future. You might think he was thinking about the long run. He was, thinking, he was being prudent, packing things away for the rest of his life. He might have been thinking about the rest of his life, but he wasn't thinking about generations after and generations that he could affect in his lifetime right now. He was thinking short lifespan. Wasn't thinking of the people around him. Scripture, we see it. It celebrates those who are rich towards God. The centurion who built a synagogue for God's people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the well-connected women to Jesus' ministry, those who are rich toward God, we see that Scripture celebrates them. So the question is this, what do you treasure? The story continues, it continues, it says this, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up treasure things for himself but is not rich towards God. Jesus is showing the kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom is about giving, it's about loving, it's about caring, it's about reaching out. And he's also telling the Jews this, right? There's this deeper truth that he's talking to culturally right now. He's telling the Jews, listen, the kingdom is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you possess the land. It doesn't matter if you possess the land. And he's really going to drive this point home in this last section here. And I'm just going to close with this last section too. Usually when we read The Rich Young Fool, we might stop at verse 21. But the conversation actually continues that, you know, this is actually said not to the crowds, but this is said to the disciples. So the rich fool is told to the crowds, but then they ask the disciples, like, what is this about? And Jesus tells them. Then Jesus said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the, the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God frees them feeds them. 
And how much more valuable you are you than birds? Who of you be worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was distressed with one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and gifts to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also." One thing we see is that greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it might not have enough. Before I get to this last point, closing here. Remember, this is about Jesus talking to them about the kingdom of heaven and what Jesus was actually going to be bringing on his ministry here on earth. And so we get two pictures, one of a raven and one of a wildflower. Now, this isn't just a nature walk. You're like, our nature people are like, oh man, I really want to go outside right now. And it's like, go for a hike. And I know it's so awesome. And we can see God's beauty in nature. But this isn't just Jesus taking them on a nature walk. God is providing. He's saying that he's the provider. But he's also showing them a message that he wants to get across. This is the picture of what Jesus wants to do for the Gentiles. So when we see the raven there, when it's mentioned the raven, these disciples would have heard raven, and they would have thought this right away. What a terrible, unclean bird. That's gross. Old Testament talks about unclean animals. Ravens were unclean animals. We even think of ravens are pretty gross too right now, right? They're kind of dark and scary, you know, in, in Hitchcock novels and stuff like that. So when he would have said raven, they would have thought, so dirty, so unclean, that's gross. And he said, I will feed them. He is immediately telling him what his kingdom is coming for. He's coming not just for the Jewish people. He's coming for the Gentiles too. So when we hear that, though, we are the Gentiles. We live 2,000 years after this story, and we recognize it. But the truth that we take is that he's come for us. He loves us, and he is setting us now apart for him. How am I going to live for him? How am I going to treasure him? He would have said the wildflowers. They were planted in the land is what it says. This represents the Jews, right? The land, being in the land, the holy land. They do not labor or spin, but God will clothe them. And if he clothes them and if they grow, how much more will he look after those who are planted with him, the Father? We don't have to worry about everything that's possessed, that we need for possession-wise. We don't have to worry about, I know there's a lot to worry about right now, and we'll get to that. But Jesus came the main thing. And he's the greatest treasure. And he's all that we need. And this speaks to us, that God our Father will look after us and give us exactly what we need, and we do not need to worry. He looks at two aspects of life, food and clothes. The ravens, they're eating. The grass and the flowers, they're clothed, clothing with the ground. 
He's saying life is more than a good meal, actually. And it's more than a body uh, wearing clothes. When we put ourselves on those levels, we put ourselves on the same levels as animals and plants. And he said, I look after their needs. How much more will I look after your needs, those created in my beautiful image, my sons and my daughters? Our climate right now, right, we worry about everything around us right now. School systems. I mean, gas prices. I mean, when I say gas prices, I throw up in my mouth a little bit. Like, that's how gross they are. Food is not cheap anymore. Coffee, insurance. Like, I don't want to get my property tax this year because I'm glad I didn't buy. You know what? Now, but I'm paying for it this year with property tax because all the values are going up. Everything in us wants to be like the rich fool. Everything in us wants to be like the rich fool. We want to make sure we're okay. And that's okay. But greed can be subtle, right? He was thinking about himself, his land, his future 20 to 30 years ahead of him. And when he received more, he thought more about making sure that he would be able to be lasting longer, that he would be okay for the next bit of his life. But Jesus is calling us this. He's calling us to remember the man who found the hidden treasure. He's calling us to be like the man who found the hidden treasure and the man who found the pearl. We can never forget that person. It's easy to fall into the rich fool. But we, aren't to, we can never forget when we accepted him. We said, I'll willingly give it all for you, Jesus. He is much more valuable than any position that we can possess. We should sell everything we have for this man. Worry can breed greed, and greed can breed worry. Jesus is showing us in this parable, as we, tr- we should treasure Jesus, not in the things of the, we shouldn't treasure the things of this world because Jesus is the joy that we need. Julie, Wei, why don't you come on up and you just play as I just leave this, this last point again. The closing of this parable in the ritual goes back to our treasure. And it simply just says this phrase. This is what it's about. This is what these parables are t- talking about. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The correlation between where your heart is and where your treasure is isn't a suggestion. It's a simple fact. This isn't like not a suggestion. Like, you know what? Where your heart is, that's probably where your treasure is at. It's a guarantee. It's a fact. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is at. If you regard your material possessions as your treasure, then your heart is set here on earth. You're thinking constantly here on earth. We're constantly thinking about the things around us. I want to think about Jesus. And that's what our culture needs. People who treasure Jesus. A lot of people say, say, I've accepted Christ, and that's great. But do we treasure him? That is the question. Where is your treasure? Like, I'm not asking for a location to steal it. Like, I'm not like that anymore. (laughs) Caught the anymore on the end. Good job. But where is your joy? Where is it? Is it in Christ? Or is the worry of the world putting it on the things in this world? And I know the worry is heavy right now with everything happening in our world. I feel it. This is much, this isn't just for you, it's for me. Abraham Lincoln, he was asked, like, 
and by his group of people, like, are you worried about the Fox River? He's like, we have to get through the Fox River, and they kept talking about it, right? And when you talk about something, it just gets, the story gets bigger, right? And he wasn't five feet, but he was 10 feet tall. And Abraham Lincoln just simply said there, he's like, I will think about the Fox River when I get to the Fox River. Let's all stand together. I'm going to pray. And we're going to close in a song here. Then after we close, you know what? We're going to open up the altar just to have a time of prayer. If you're like, I am just totally crippled by worry, myself and Kim, we want to pray for you. Shane, he's going to, you know, he's on the spot here. He's going to come on up and he's going to pray for you. But let's take a moment. Let's sing. Ask the Lord, Lord, where is my worry at? Where is my treasure at right now? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the greatest treasure. Lord, that you are that hidden treasure. You are that pearl. Lord, and I want to be like those two men who gave up everything and constantly give up everything for you, Jesus. I don't want to be the rich young fool. It's, it's easy to fall into the rich young fool because the worry of the world is heavy. But Lord, I want to remember that moment when I found you when I wasn't searching for you. There are some who found you when they were searching for something. I don't ever want to lose that joy, Jesus. In your joy, in their joy. That's what it's about, Jesus. So Lord, as we close with this last song, Lord, examine our hearts, work on them. Lord, as we ask the question, Lord, where is my treasure at? Let's be open and honest with the Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts.